this episode of This Nan Up Life. I'm Peter Spriffelis and this is my observations of the planet as viewed from Nanup down here in the southwest of Western Australia. The podcast is complimentary to my blog, thisnanuplife.net. If you haven't done so already, head over there and subscribe to receive in your inbox my newsletter containing the blog posts and updates about new podcasts. Anyway, let's get on with today's episode. Today's podcast is based upon my blog post, Truthonomics number three, Batteries Not Included, where I ask the question, although renewables are the poster child of the green energy transition, can they really free us from fossil fuels? The frenzy of Christmas is now just behind us but fresh in our minds. Parents across Western economies stretched their credit cards to buy the latest version of electronic games, drones, phones and the like for their respective hopes of the nation. Most such devices have inbuilt rechargeable lightweight lithium batteries these days. Long gone are the days of a crestfallen little Johnny with a new scalectric track and a dad feeling an utter failure for forgetting to buy the batteries to run the cars with no prospect of finding a shop open on Christmas Day to acquire some. Lucky us. Unfortunately, the same can't be said of Germany, as a cold winter blows in over Europe. Sliding from stagflation to outright recession, Germany is the exemplar of a renewable energy policy gone awry. Put simply, they overlook the label on the wind and solar box. The one saying, batteries not included. With limited access to natural gas since Russia invaded Ukraine and the shutdown of their last remaining nuclear power plants, Germany is digging up lignite to supplement its power supplies. And if you don't know what lignite is, lignite is a fuel barely past the wet, rotten wood stage on its evolution into coal. Literally, the worst form of the worst kind of fossil fuel in terms of greenhouse emissions. But how did Germany get the green economy transition so wrong? It's not as though German meteorologists don't know that there are times when the wind doesn't blow much and the sun doesn't shine. I mean, here in Australia, we have a daily low solar output phenomenon we call nighttime. Perhaps a part of the reason lies in the mislabeling of wind and solar power technologies as renewables. As night follows day, in practical terms, the sun and wind are not renewable. They are intermittent power sources that fluctuate in power production as the weather changes and clouds cross the sky. A better collective term for wind and solar power technologies may be intermittents rather than renewables, if only to remind ourselves that they will always need batteries and backup power needed to smooth out the fluctuations in power output by these intermittents, store excess energy to resupply back to the grid and provide backup power during periods of prolonged wind and solar power shortfalls. One way to look at the intermittent backup and battery issues is to examine what options are available or emerging for different backup and storage timescales. Different options exist for timescales less than a few hours, also known as intraday buffering, 
for short-term days-to-week storage or for longer timescales, such as throughout a cold, dark European winter. In terms of intraday buffering, the easiest wind and solar output issue to manage is intraday power output fluctuations. Grid-scale lithium batteries are already used to buff fluctuations in wind and solar power output on millisecond to several hour timescales. Several hours worth of typical use battery storage for a large population centre also allows shifting the usage curve for solar power from the hours of greatest output, which are the four hours straddling midday when the sun's at its highest in the sky, to the highest demand hours of the day, the four hours of the early evening when everybody's just come home from school or work, turning on air conditioners or heaters, cooking food, running hot water systems to shower the kiddies, turning on all their devices to keep the house running. Multiple alternative battery technologies to lithium are likely to come on stream for intraday buffering over the coming decade or two. There is no particular requirement to use lightweight, expensive battery technology like lithium for a grid-scale battery installation. Grid-scale batteries are not being driven anywhere. Alternatives include mechanical batteries, such as spinning heavy flywheels, which are often used to back up power already in large data centres, sodium chemistry batteries, which are much cheaper, although much larger, than lithium batteries, and redox flow batteries. So let's move on to days to week storage and backup. A thornier issue is low carbon backup and storage for timescales longer than a few hours. Scaling any of the battery technologies mentioned above to supply several days worth or a couple of weeks energy storage is expensive. Non-fossil fuel technologies suitable for short-term backup of intermittent wind and solar power include geothermal and hydroelectric power. Both technologies can be ramped up or down relatively quickly in response to wind and solar power fluctuations. Both also offer baseload power supply. Unfortunately, not all locations on the planet have access to cost-effective geothermal or hydroelectric energy sources, although recent advances in enhancing geothermal power production may see geothermal spread more widely in coming decades. So let's now move on to weeks to month storage and backup. Pumped hydro storage, where excess intermittent production is used to pump water back up the hill and then release the water back through a hydroelectric generator when needed, is one of the few proven non-fossil fuel grid-scale technologies that can offer long-term energy storage. Snowy 2.0 is an Australian grid-scale example due for completion before the end of the decade at an estimated cost in excess of $12 billion Australian. Tunnelling is underway to link two dams within the Snowy River hydroelectric complex in the Australian Alps to store and release wind and solar energy. Again, not all energy grids on the planet have suitable locations to place a pumped hydro solution networked both the grid and sources of wind and solar power. 
As an alternative, there is an emerging focus on developing heat stores as a means of storing solar and wind energy. Given heating, both domestic and industrial, is a major power consumer in countries with cold winters. A novel example is the 8 megawatt hour sand battery in Kankanpa. I've almost certainly completely mispronounced that. It's a small town north of Helsinki in Finland. Some 100 tonnes of sand in a large steel silo is being heated with hot air. Months later, cold air can be circulated through the hot sand to extract the heat and distribute it to homes, offices and the local swimming pool. But what about nuclear power? Nuclear power works most efficiently when allowed to run as baseload rather than a rapid response power supply. This means most grids with both nuclear and intermittent wind and solar power generation will always need an additional form of power generation, typically fossil fueled, to act as a buffer to wind and solar power fluctuations, at least until grid scalable days to week duration energy storage options become widely available. In France, the UK and Canada, increasing nuclear baseload power by renovating nuclear power plants and adding more nuclear power plants is planned. Notwithstanding ongoing technical issues, for example, small modular may not actually be better than large nuclear power plants, and it's also quite hard to renovate old plants. And with the war in Ukraine, there's some interesting issues emerging in terms of uranium as a fuel source from Russia. Unfortunately, if we take our heads out from the sand and look around, what we see is that fossil fuels are currently and are likely to remain at the heart of the energy complex. COP28 is calling for us to transition away from fossil fuels and to treble wind and solar power by 2030. Unfortunately, trebling these intermittents can only be achieved by actually increasing fossil fuel consumption in all its forms. Despite all the options discussed above, the unfortunate reality is that most grid-scale wind and solar installations, owing to their intermittency, will need to be backed up by whatever local power generation technology is cheap and widely available. Unfortunately, that will mean more use of fossil fuels. To be fair, in many cases, our intermittents are and will be backed up by natural gas, a relatively clean fossil fuel. However, irrespective of COP28's well-meaning communique, coal power generation, the dirtiest form of fossil fuel consumption, continues to grow worldwide and is predicted to continue to grow as well. Business as usual will see India and China add the equivalent of the entire USA coal power generation capacity in just a few years. Coal power is used by these manufacturing hubs for high energy processes, processes like high temperature solar cell manufacture and energy intensive rare earth extraction and refining. Rare earths are vital for wind turbine and electric vehicle manufacture. I will explore in greater detail our realistic options to reduce fossil fuel burning in future posts. The too long didn't read is that intermittent wind and solar 
are likely to be only suitable to play a support role in places that don't have absolutely abundant wind and solar resources. Until next time, I suggest keeping abreast of what's happening in the Arctic and the Antarctic. Perhaps Google the Charctic sea ice state. Things are warming up and will continue to do so.